open, off and Skyly Sensory stayed in the gate. There's Bo Rogue being set alight immediately by Cyril Small and racing to the lead. But Bo Rogue won't give up, he's still in front. Groucho's grabbing him now. Groucho coming at Bo Rogue, don't play, getting a rails run. Bo Rogue in front, he's got a heart as big as himself. He'll win, Bo Rogue! Bo Rogue has cracked it at last. This podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and Inglis. The Illawarra Turf Club will host the last of the spring features when the gong will highlight a metropolitan class program on Saturday, November 20. This is the third running of the $1 million race over the Kembla Mile with Mr Seawolf and Arcademus already in the record books. Co-features on the day will be a 1,000 metre open sprint carrying a purse of 300,000 the $100,000 tab highway over the same trip as the gong and the midway of 1,400 metres. Stakes racing will continue at Rosehill Gardens the following week, November 27, with the Group 3 Festival Stakes and the listed Starlight Stakes of 1,100 and the Australian Turf Club Cup over 2,000 metres. It's been a glittering spring carnival and it's not over yet. In interviewing jockeys over many decades, I've made a point of asking most of them to name the riders of their generation who most inspired them. And I've lost count of the number of times Darren Gouchy's name has been put forward. The Gouch quit the saddle in 2017 after 35 years as a professional jockey. His stellar career brought him 2,500 winners, including 35 Group 1s. It's not hard to understand why he became such a popular role model with his contemporaries. Horses loved him. He had a sharp tactical brain. He was very strong in a tight finish. And perhaps the most important component of all, he had the balance of a tightrope walker. Racing Victoria couldn't have selected a better qualified person than Darren Gouchy to become an apprentice jockey mentor when he called time on his riding career. His last day as a professional jockey at Caulfield on February the 2nd, 2017, was billed as Farewell Darren Gouchy Day. They sent him off in grand style and he reciprocated by riding a winner. He's now in his fifth year as a mentor and thanks to the continuation of racing during the pandemic, he's been able to stay on the job. Gouch, it's great to catch up for a long overdue chat. How are you going? It has been a while. I'm doing well, thanks, John. Thanks very much. You've been getting to three or four race meetings a week with your students, but I imagine most of the paperwork has been done at home lately. Well, it has been. Um, lucky enough, over the the pandemic we've been able to go to the races um under strict protocols of course but um uh you know we have a lot of apprentices riding and, and of recently we've had a lot of them just starting off too we've had about five apprentices just starting off so mm. um it means plenty of traveling um long distances but uh it's uh good to see them start off their career when you first heard about the upcoming role with Racing Victoria, you had a decision to make. You were still riding, but you were 51 years old. Opportunities were starting to dry up. 
you knew it was time. I did know it was time. It was close to time anyway. I, I felt um, insane that I thought I could have gone on for a couple more years. Um, but when this job come up, um, it doesn't come up very often. It's something that I, I always thought I, I wanted to do uh, once I stopped riding. Mm. And look, it's never a perfect time, you know. But for me, it was probably pretty close to perfect timing. You suffered the fate experienced by most older jockeys in Australia, uh, with the new young gun riders coming through all the time. The veterans eventually find themselves uh, going to the to the bush or to the provincial circuit. The sad part is, you were still enjoying it. You loved it. I did. I loved it actually. Um, I uh, I felt you know firstly like when you hit an age of fifty. Um, it's not so much you want to retire, you're just sort of really forced to retire, most mm. jockeys, I feel. And uh, that's what I was told when I was younger, and it's turned out to be pretty right in my case too. And mm. um, I had to make the choice. I, I rode in the metropolitan area on a Saturday and, and maybe have one ride and a long shot, or I'd, I'd go to the country and have four or five, six rides. Mm. And um, what I love doing is, is winning, like every jockey does. Uh, we love winning. So... Um, it was, you know, it was a pretty easy decision to make, and I actually enjoyed it. Um, you know, I, that's where I started, and that's where I sort of finished. Yeah, with the new job safely locked in, you set the date for your swan song, February the second, two thousand and seventeen, at Caulfield. You had three rides on the day. The first of them was in race two, over two thousand meters. It was an imported horse called Goodwill for Robert Hickmott and Lloyd Williams, and you got him home. But he took a bit of riding on the day, didn't he? He, he took a, a lot of riding. Um, basically, had to ride him the whole way. Uh, I've never rode the horse before, but um, the instructions were to sort of just keep him going forward and you'll probably have to work on him a bit. And mm. they, were, they were pretty right. I, I had to work on him the whole way, like I said, and mm. Tired after the race, but he, he got there, he stuck his head out, and um, look, I, I couldn't have asked anything better to, to ride a winner on my last day. Ah, it was wonderful. Now, every jockey who didn't ride in the race came out onto the lawn to give you a round of applause as you came back in. I think Ollie was standing right at the enclosure gate. I saw a photo of it. I bet that put a lump in your throat. It certainly did. Um to have all my fellow jockeys there to greet me, you know, my last day. And like I said, fortunate enough to ride a winner, and they all, they're all there to see me come in. Um, look, Johnny, I was, I was overwhelmed by it all, really. Um, mm. I was overwhelmed by that, and also what the Melbourne Racing Club did for me on the day. Um, something that was uh, I, I, I will never forget. Mm. Second ride on the day was for Colin Alderson, it was a filly called Miss Gidget, who ran about fifth. And then came the tough one. You rode Longeron for Team Hawks in a race called the Darren Gauchy Farewell Handicap. You finished midfield and you said later you didn't want to stop. <laughs> you just wanted to keep on going around. <laughs> I did actually, yeah, yeah. You know, when I was pulling up, it sort of hit me then. I, after the winning post, I I felt, well, this is the last time I'll be doing this. Um sort of didn't want it to end, but 
Um, I think everybody would feel the same. Any rider that's been riding for, say, 36, 36 years, mm. and all of a sudden it comes to a stop. So, um, but it was a great day, like mm. I said. Karen and the kids were there, your parents were there, and I imagine yeah. the emotion would have been building through the day. It did. Um, you know, I had a little, all my friends there, and uh, like I said, I was overwhelmed with the amount of people that come up to sort of see my last day. Mm. And like I said, the Melbourne Racing Club, what they did, it was, it was like, a, you know, something that I will always remember. How long did the period of readjustment take? For 37 years, you'd been starting work in the dark, riding horses, track work, dashing off to the races, depriving yourself of food and starting all over again the next day. Did you have withdrawals? I did for the first, particularly for the first six months, I um, I sort of felt like I wanted to go back riding. Um, I think every rider, uh, you, it's more so the competition of it all and the, the adrenaline, adrenaline of, it, of it all. Um, you miss that aspect of it and I thought, oh, I just don't want to go back and uh, – I think my wife, Karen, put a stop to that. She said, no, you're not going back. <laughs> <laughs> Did she? Yeah. She said, don't even think about it. And also my, my children were a bit the same. So, mm. uh, you know, look, it's it was time and, you know, it's sort of I, – I, I have no regrets in, in my on my decision now. Um, mm. Look, I, I had a wonderful time in the saddle too. So everything comes to an end, doesn't it? A lot of your mentoring work, Darren, is done at the races and includes stewards' inquiries. Now, if one of your kids has to front the stewards for any reason, you're permitted to sit in. Yeah, we, we are. Um, we do sit in just to guide them. Um, that they, They'll be asked the questions by the stewards. Um, we can give them advice and sometimes the stewards ask for my point of view, what I thought of the film. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the way it sort of works uh, because when you know in the room first time for those uh, when I first start riding it's a little bit overwhelming for them even and mm-hmm. uh, just to have someone there just to help guide them through it. You have access to the jockey's room, of course, during the day, uh, yeah. and from time to time you consult the apprentices after a race. But it's probably not the time to talk about it. You'd you'd probably be more likely to talk to them when you get them into the office the following week. Yeah, exactly right. You know, you can sort of sense when they're having a sort of bad day, it's more about building their confidence up and, and trying to get them to put that behind them. Mm. Um, it is a job where, they, you know, some of them have four or five rides a day and, you know, they might have a, something might go wrong in one race and instead of you're just trying to get their, to focus on them to focus on the next race coming up rather than mm. going out with a little bit of probably, what would you say, a negative attitude. Mm. So that's the thing that we all learn and you learn through experience, um, but it's just a talking through it. And like you said, uh, maybe the next day and um, now these times with COVID, we've all learned how to use um, Microsoft Teams and, you can easily sit down and, and, and go through the races with them the next day and mm. uh, when they've cooled down and they've had time to think about it. Yeah. A lot of the work is done behind the scenes, I believe, in a big room at Flemington where the schools are conducted on a roster basis. How often are those sessions held? 
Well, they held, for instance, we have uh, for apprentice school, we have uh, year one, year two, year three, and year four. Mm-hmm. And probably in each class, is probably about seven apprentices. Um, so we're looking at their year ones come in once a month, and they uh, they're in for two not two days. So mm-hmm. they'll stay stay at uh, Racing Victoria for one night or two nights. And uh, the year two apprentices are in once a month. So the year threes once a month, and year fours they're in every three months. So. Uh, it's pretty full on. Their, their days are pretty well planned out. Their days are pretty busy as well, um, and it's, it's you can understand why in this day and age, the apprentices are, are, are pretty much more advanced as far as their riding goes. Um, and as people, uh, when they do start riding, because the amount of people that are on board, mm-hmm. um, we, we've got like physios there. Uh, Psychologists, uh, dietitians. Um, mm. We have them on the mechanical horse. We do racing ISIS with them, and also there's other classes um, such as people talk to them about finance, um, talk to them about drugs and alcohol, um, uh, and a different number of people. Even uh, VIS, uh, Victoria Institute of Sport, um, our Olympians come in and and talk about their journey and mm. so forth. So mm. they're, they're pretty. It's a bit different to when I started. Right? Yeah, very different, yeah. I'll say. Mm. Now, you've got some well-qualified colleagues working with you, Darren. Well, I have, yeah. We've got um, Alf Matthews. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's, 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 there's two coaches, uh, Alf and myself. Uh, there's Ron Hall. He's with Safety Welfare. And Lisa Hocking, she, she got, she's a manager. She sort of organises everything for us. And we work pretty well together as a team. You know, you instinctively identify the young people who have natural talent and those that are going to need plenty of time and plenty of help. And I know you've got a real soft spot for the kids who try hard to make it happen. I, I have. Um, that's where you really get a buzz when um, when it does happen for them and they really have to work hard, for instance, even when they're, they're having their first ride. Mm. or their first winner, um, just the grin on their face um, is priceless. And mm. yeah, I've seen uh, quite a few now um, in, in the five years I've been working with, with Racing Victoria as an apprentice mentor, and mm. you see some of them coming just um, just pure natural, natural ability, and mm. you see some, well, they're – quite haven't got the natural ability as that that one has, but they mm. will go to the yard and work harder, mm. and that's what it's all about. Mm. Can you think of an example of a top Melbourne jockey who could barely sit on in the early stages but through sheer hard work uh, went on to achieve? But the first one that comes to my mind is Craig Williams. Um, he's, <laughs> amazing. <laughs> I look at him now. Yeah, it, is, it is amazing his story. Um, yeah. When he started, he, he was a he, he didn't even look like a jockey. He, he was quite he was quite heavy, mm-hmm. um, and he really struggled. And you would have said he's going to really struggle. He's not going to make it. Mm-hmm. But he just worked and worked and worked, and um, he was very consistent with what he had to do. He, he'd never miss a morning. He'd get up every morning or after track work. He'd walk 
for an hour um, of a night, he'd do the same and just to slowly get his weight down and, and get his fitness up and things like that. And I think the big key with Craig, when he went overseas as well for a little while, he'd come mm. back and he was a much better rider. Mm. And he just continued to improve, improve, improve. And Craig's one of those people, he's very inspirational where he just looks for ways to improve all the time. And the amount of work that he does, I, I, I would say I've never seen a, a rider do as much form is what he does. Yeah. Oh, no, he's amazing. And it's it's all been worthwhile. He's won the Scobie Breezley medal five times. He, he has. And, you know, it, it just goes to show what you can do when you want to do it. And he's, he's, he's a perfect example. He's one of our top riders. He's been one of our top riders for a long while now. And mm. um, But he's, he's just pure professional. You were apprenticed to a man called Frank King at Caulfield who was able to fit you in when another apprentice came out of his time. Suddenly a vacancy appeared and Gouchy was in like a shot. I was. Timing there was good too. I was only when I was, um, I was 14 then mm. and I was working with my brother at Caulfield uh, for a trainer called Don Shannon. Mm. Um, Don Shannon was gave up and went to Manila, um, he stopped training. So I sort of had to find where could I go and um, I was always having my eyes on Ty Poppy Gable with Frank King. Uh, with his, you know, he's, he's been fantastic. He's had a, a lot of good apprentices. He's very similar to Theo Green in Sydney. Yeah. So when uh, I think it was Dale, it was Dale Short who come out of his time just come out of his time and there was a vacancy for Frank to take another apprentice and um, that's how I got started. Um, I actually started there whilst I was going to school and school was only up the road, it was only about 200 metres away so it worked out perfect. Mm. You tell me that Frank King was very typical of the trainers of that era, tough but fair. He was, he was was tough um, but very fair and he looked after his apprentices. He made sure that they, you know, you had to rest. Mm. Um, we most of us lived there at, at his property, and meals would be cooked by Jean King, his wife. Mm. He used to also work. He used to also work at Caulfield in the canteen with the jockeys. Look after all the jockeys. So mm. we're always fed, and we always had the right diet and right rest. Um, even though it was hard work, yes, but mm. it kept us on the straight and narrow. We're too tired to do anything else. Now, Gouch, I'd like to review your amazing career, beginning with a certain day at Bansdale in April of 1982. You hadn't ridden a winner coming into the meeting, but you were on a long odds-on favourite called Turbler in a three-horse race. Were you nervous? I was nervous. Um... So I had two rides before that, and what happened was I was at Ballarat, and uh, there was a bit of a, like, uh, how can I say, um, this way a lot of people went to go and see me ride, all my friends, relatives. Mm. Um, my first ride ran second last, and I was a bit, <laughs> yeah, it wasn't that good. I couldn't even see myself in the frame, it was that far back. Mm. But as I was walking out, um, the apprentice didn't turn up, and, I was lucky enough to pick up another ride, I thought, and yeah. I thought, now I can redeem myself. And 
sure enough, it ran second last too. So, nothing happens for about three weeks. And mm. I was thinking to myself, when am I going to get my next ride? And mm. I, was, I was in the sand roll of a horse, just getting a horse. I had the sand roll at the stables. And mm. Frank King comes to me and said, oh, you, You've got a ride on Saturday at Bansdale. I said, wow, oh, great, great. Where's Bamsdale? I didn't know where it was, actually. I never <laughs> been. <laughs> so yeah. I, I, I remember that morning when I left, I, I, I was at Mum and Dad's, and, and I, I, I didn't expect Mum and Dad to go there. It was a long way, a fair way, and yeah. I arranged a lift anyway. And I said to Mum and Dad, I said, um, I reckon I've got a good chance today. And you know when someone, when they look at you and they smile, when they nod their head, but you know that they don't believe you? <laughs> That, that's what it was like. Literally. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I said, I think I can win. <laughs> I had the same reaction. I yeah. said, but I'll definitely run a place because it was a non-TAB. <laughs> it was a non-TAB meeting, so they wouldn't know anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I went up to Bansdale, three-horse race. The horse was 10 to 1 on, mm. uh, Turba, and he won. So that, that's how I rode my first winner. It was the same day that Gurners Lane won – Melbourne Cup, I'm pretty sure it was, um, mm. I remember rightly. Yeah. Oh, it was Melbourne Cup Day. Yeah, it was Melbourne Cup Day. And yeah. I, it was Gurners Lane, which I made work during the week. Yes, yes, it was, week. 1982. Oh, yeah. yeah. Had you, yeah. you'd ridden him work? Yeah, I rode him work, yeah, yeah. Mm. For Jeff Murphy, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm. You had to wait eight months for your first city winner, and that was at Mooney Valley just after Christmas of that year. The race was the Roxburgh Handicap and the horse's name was Warflight and you rode him at 46.5. Yeah, I was um, – well, really, I was, one thing I was always lucky, John, was I could always ride light. I, did, I didn't really have a weight issue. Mm. Um, when I had my first ride, for instance, I only weighed 33 kilograms. Goodness me. So – to ride that weight, I rode it in quite a big saddle, some lead. Um, I remember that race. Um, I drew an inside barrier, and my instructions were, and there were quite a lot of owners in the mountain yard. There was about 20 of them, and mm. instructions were that probably you know, drawing a good barrier, uh, try and sit fourth, fifth, just behind the leading leaders. Mm. Over 1600, uh, and don't get there too soon because he, he tends to switch off. And I went about you know, after we left the barriers, I thought, Oh, great, I've got, I've got the perfect spot here. One out, one back behind the two leaders. And mm. unfortunately, my my saddle slipped. Oh, dear, it slipped badly, too. I had I basically had no control. And all I could remember was what my boss, Frank King, said to me if ever that happens, if you're in a position, just let your horse stride and the saddle might slip back into mm. a proper spot. So I did that and I gave the horse a little bit of rain and he took off. <laughs> <laughs> he took off. I remember going to the first turn and I, I was at the 1,200-metre mark at the valley and um, I had a look around and I, I thought all I could see was daylight. I, I was about 10 lengths in front of the field. Oh, embarrassing. And I and I and in all, and all these thoughts have gone through my head, and I thought, oh, this is probably the last ride I get in town. And I, you know, I'm finished as a rider. Um, the race went on. There wasn't much I could do. Got to the school, the same thing. I had to look around, and I was still a long, long way in front. And 
I've, I, when I got around the turn, I could visualise myself coming around the home turn and all these horses flying past me. But mm, didn't happen. I, it didn't happen. I straightened up and I, I, uh, I don't think I rode as hard as what I ever did that day. And yeah, um, the horse went easy. Won by about four lengths. <laughs> and you looked a genius. <laughs> That's what they said when I came in. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I thought, I thought, I thought, I thought I'd keep that part about the saddle slipping a bit quiet. I won't mention anything about that. <laughs> Took you 40 years to admit it. <laughs> yeah, it did. <laughs> now, Gouts, just to illustrate how quickly your career took off, it was less than a year later when your first Group 1 winner came along for Bart Cummings, no less. Taj Eclipse in the VRC Oaks. You'd won the Edward Manifold on her a few weeks earlier and you'd run second in the Wakeful Stakes, so her form was good, really good. Her form was very good. I, I believe she's probably the best stayer I've ever rode, um, mm. ever, ever saw the best of Tardy Clips. Because um, it was a strong act that year. It was The horse that ran second was Mackley Heights, mm. uh, which was a very good mare. So I, I, I was really confident. Um, she was just you know, one of those horses you can – you could take a spot if, if you drew a barrier um, mm. and she'd just come back underneath you and you said woo and mm. when you ask her to respond she could sustain a, a fairly long run and had a little bit of a turn of foot so perfect stayer uh, I was looking forward to art when, when it, I'll put this way when I did win the Oaks on Tiger Cliffs I thought mm. I think she'll be my first um, Melbourne Cup win yeah that's how much I thought of her yeah I said, I can't wait till next year, and um, she never come back after that. She never raced again, Darren, after the Oaks? No, from what I remember, no. I, mm. I think she got pretty pretty crook. She got singles. She, she was, um, mm. uh, yeah, she, she never come back up after that. You were based at Caulfields, of course, with Frank King, so it wasn't long before you were writing work for blokes like Jeff Murphy, Bob Hoisted, Angus Armanasco, and the winners just flowed. Yeah, I was, I was, I was very lucky. The beauty about being apprentice to Frank King was that we didn't have a lot of horses there. We only had like seven horses in work mm. mostly um, throughout my whole time there was in, in my apprenticeship. Mm. So I used to get up at, say, 3.30 in the morning and just clean out the stables first, and I'll be on my first horse, say, quarter to five, and, but I'll be I'll be riding work for everybody else first, such, such as Jeff Murphy's, um, mm. Angus Arm, Nasco, and there, there was quite a few trainers out there that, were, that had a lot of horses, and um, I wouldn't have to start riding hours until, say, 7 o'clock. Mm. So it gave me a good you know, two and a quarter hours or two hours riding work for other trainers every morning, and sort yeah. of built up that relationship and mm. once I started riding a few winners, they really supported me and got behind me and mm. um, I remember the era when I was riding for Jeff Murphy at the time and I was riding a lot of horses and one year he had horses like Albany Bay, Shannon mm. Mist and I was riding those kind of horses and mm. Chagamar and um, they, they were really nice horses and, and I, mm. I had the support. It doesn't matter how, like, we all know, it doesn't matter how would you are or whatever, you do need the, the um, ammunition underneath you, uh, mm. the horsepower. So I was very fortunate. I had the support of a lot of trainers at Caulfield. You know, whether you liked it or not, you were soon the matinee idol of Victorian racing. 
you were getting a huge amount of media attention and you were absolutely gobsmacked when the Darren Gauchy fan club suddenly came to light. Dozens of placard-waving kids turning up at Saturday race meetings in Melbourne, lining the birdcage fence, screaming at you uh, as you got legged onto a horse. Pretty scary stuff for a quiet little Maltese boy. Yeah, I was a little Maltese battler. I um, <laughs> I, was, yeah, I couldn't believe it, really. I was so lucky. Um, look, that was, that's what racing's all about, is having the younger generation there and taking part in racing and taking an interest. But uh, that's a long time ago now. Um, but, look, that, I can only thank them for what they did. and They turned up at the races and... I hope, I hope they backed a few of my winners, Johnny. I hope they did. <laughs> I'm sure they would have. You must have been copping some dreadful ribbing in the jockey's room at the time. I did cop a little bit of banter, yeah. Yeah, a little bit of banter. Um, what could I do? <laughs> Just keep going. <laughs> it's beyond your control. Now, Gauss, that kind of attention at such an early age can have disastrous effects on young people. But your boss, Frank King, was watching closely and he found the best way to keep your feet on the ground, didn't he? Work you to death. He did. The more winners <laughs> I rode, the more publicity I had, the harder I worked. Yeah. And I was, you know, I'd get to the races. I was, I was that, that tired when I got back. I, I just wanted to feed and go to sleep, you know. Um, but when I look back at it, when you look back on that, that sort of kept me on a straight and narrow. Um, you know, my boss said to me one time, Frank said to me, and I'll never forget, he said, when boys have money, they think they're men. Mm. When they're broke, they're boys again. There's a lot of meaning oh, to that one. saying. Yeah. And I, it's a rip. It's, it's always stuck in, in my mind. Mm. Young Talent Time was a very famous television program which ran for 17 years, 1971 to 1988, on the 10 Network. Now, to your amazement, at the height of your fame in those early days, you were invited to make a cameo appearance complete with a racehorse. They brought a real thoroughbred into the studio, you put on your racing gear, and you were legged up. Now, they obviously selected a bomb-proof animal. <laughs> yeah, they did. Yeah, that's it. The bomb-proof horse, he was, <laughs> he was pretty quiet, thank God, because um, there's not much room in there and there's a lot of cameras you wouldn't have seen before. And mm. The horse had uh, done an amazing job. Um, but I remember that uh, when my boss, Frank King, said, because he used to arrange all these things for me, and mm. he said I was going on Young Talent Time. I said, no, nah, boss, I, I don't want to go on Young Talent Time. I said, because <laughs> look at the banter I'm going to cop from the other jockeys, you know. They'll be singing that song, say goodbye to me all the time. Mm. Um, so look, I, I end up going on and, yeah, that's, I was there and I knew a few of the young talent time performers, uh, regular performers like Tina Arena, yeah. um, Danny Minogue, and uh, just about everybody did in those days. And um, I one young lady walked in I'd never seen before and I was like, wow. Mm, mm. <laughs> Took me a bit, but uh, nothing happened. Um, 
until about six months later, I had a little mishap at uh, Sandown, and one of, one of the um, one of the girls rang me and said, asked to see how I was, and mm. I said, I'm good. And how so and so and how so and so and how's Karen? I see you there. I he put her on. That's how it all started. That's how I met my wife. Oh, God, love her. Karen Dunkerton, who was a a real star on the Young Talent Time team. She's the one that caught your eye on the night, but it it took six months for your strategy to work, did it? I'm a very shy person, as you know, John. Well, racing must have been foreign territory to Karen at the time. How did she adapt to life? as the partner of a famous jockey. Well, at the time, Karen was, like I said, was on young talent time and going to school as well. So um, she was really busy. Karen was really busy too. Mm. Um, to uh, prepare for each show, she, she'd probably be there working after, hour, after school, after hours, yeah. dancing and singing and getting things right with all the other team members. and Rehearsal. Yeah, yeah, rehearsals and things like mm. that for 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 several several hours. So um, the only time when Karen and I did catch up was basically on a, on a Saturday or Saturday after races. When she finished the show, I used to go and pick her up mm. um, from where she was, and uh, we spend. You know, I, I used to always have to be back home by twelve o'clock. That that was one of the rules. If I wasn't home by 12 o'clock, my boss would know Frank King, and he'd always know if I was going to be late. Um, so, yeah. What we, you know, we didn't get to see each other a great deal early days. You and Karen are now the proud parents of three girls Jade, yeah. who's 30, Brianna, who's now 26, and Brooke, who's 21, while your only son, Sean, is 25. And I hear that you two are about to become grandparents for the first time. Yes, we are. Um, pretty proud. Uh, we're both proud. And um, sort of when Brianna first told um, Karen and I that she was pregnant uh, and the baby is due in March. So it sort of didn't hit me for a while until about another, so three months later she'd come around and she was actually starting to show and I thought, well, this is fair income. This, this yeah. is real. This is not a joke. No, <laughs> no, I'm that's right. Forward to it. It's a it's a giant leap for mankind, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Grandfather. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, mate. Um, this is the first time I've ever made this public. Wait until you're a great-grandfather. Great-grandfather. Wow. Yeah. That'd be, that'd be something. That'd be good. <laughs> now, Gouch, just sit back and relax for a moment. We're going to clear a commitment on the podcast. We'll be back with you after this. Trainers strive to have horses spot on for race day. Fuel cells up, the right mental state, the right fitness levels. Equally important is the horse's capacity to recover quickly from racing and track work. The aim is to give owners every opportunity to win optimum prize money by keeping a horse in training for as long as possible. High Gain Recuperate is a powerful blend of electrolytes, B-group vitamins and vitamin E in paste form which can be administered after fast work and in the days leading up to a race to assist recovery. 
recovery. 30 mil of recuperate drawn from the 500 mil bulk pack is the economical alternative to individual electrolyte and vitamin paste syringes. High gain recuperate powers performance and recovery. Visit the High Gain website and use promo code johntap.racing to receive 15% off your next recuperate purchase. My special guest is former champion jockey Darren Gauchi. Gauchi, you've got fond memories of two separate stints in Hong Kong. You put your toe in the water in the early 90s with a short-term contract. You rode about seven winners in three weeks, but you loved it and you thought, if I get the right kind of offer, I'll go back. Yes, I did. I remember when I went there, there the first time, and I think the first two race meetings, I, I didn't ride a winner, and they uh, they sort of labelled me much as uh, um, a very average jockey. They call you lots <laughs> up jockey. That's their way of saying it. So, yeah, yeah. But I've been riding these horses work, and I, I had these – up, upcoming rides and I thought they were going to be very competitive and on this particular weekend I thought well I reckon a good, good chance to ride three winners and mm-hmm. they all won mm-hmm. um, and then it sort of went from there Yeah. and I finished my stint in uh, that little stint, it was only for, like, for about three or four weeks mm-hmm. and when I come back to Melbourne shortly after that I got a phone call from Laurie, Laurie Founds mm-hmm. um, a, a great trainer a great man um, he was. Uh, he offered me the job for, to be his number one rider, mm. and it's something that I, I, I was very thankful for. And uh, I had a good time. I, I enjoyed my time in Hong Kong. I was there for three years. Mm. Um, I learned a lot riding against different jockeys, and you know, a very, the, the best jockeys from all around the world were there. And, you never changed your style so much, but you always you just seem to pick up little things that you might change. And mm. um, it's a great experience for me, and I, I, I would recommend it for any jockey going over there the first time. You had that retainer to Laurie Founds, but you also did a lot of riding for a former champion Sydney trainer uh, with whom you formed a special friendship, the great Neville Begg. Yeah, I did. Um my last year was actually, I rode for Neville. I was his stable rider that year, my last year in Hong Kong. And absolute gentleman. Um, absolute gentleman. He was, you know, we, we had a lot of success that year. And um, you know, we're, we're great friends. We're, we've always been good friends. And I've learned a lot from, from Neville just riding for him that year. Um I wish I probably could have stayed longer and rode for him for another couple of years, uh, but it didn't turn out that way. But um, but what a, what a great man. You had few regrets uh, during a stellar riding career, but perhaps one thing that gets up your nose to this very day is the absence of a Melbourne Cup winner. You had 15 or 16 rides in the Cup for three seconds, superimpose, shagamar, and on a journey, you just couldn't get there. No, I couldn't get there. Um, you know, Chagamar all ran second to Black Knight, and at that, actually that 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 year, uh, the Geelong Cup form turned out pretty good because I beat Black Knight, but he turned the tables mm. on Cup Day. Um, but Chagamar was a wonderful horse 
to me. Mm. Um, I was very proud of him to run second in that, that day. And next Melbourne Cup I ran second in was superimposed. And mm. I was uh, the number one rider for Lee Freeman at the time. So I had the choice of either t- uh, terrific gorse superimposed mm. about two weeks before the race. And I had to make that decision then and there. And um, terrific was going okay, but you knew he'd run a two mile. Superimposed was always a superior horse over a short distance. He's a champion and, and he was mm. the best horse over the road. Uh, but it was sort of nearly an afterthought to run him in the Melbourne Cup. And um, I thought if he can run the two miles, he'll be terrific. But mm. uh, he, put this way, I drew a, I drew a wonderful barrier, a good barrier in the cup. And everything went my way as I sort of planned it. And at the 300 metre mark, when I come outside Kutz, oh, yeah. I, thought, I, I thought, well, this this is going to be my first Melbourne Cup. Oh, I, you I looked home, tra- didn't you? You looked home. I, yeah, I was travelling. I was travelling so easy, mm. and I thought, just be patient, just be patient, just be patient. But as soon mm. as I asked him for that little bit, he went for a bit. You know, he had a little bit of a turn of foot, mm. but then he was down and out a bit. Yeah. Um, and I could hear one coming down the outside. I wasn't aware at the time it was terrific, but. I thought, well, I'm going to run second. The horse has done a great job, and I couldn't have asked for a bit of run in the race. And mm. Then it hit me, terrific, terrific beat me. And uh, yeah. Raymond Shane Dyer, he was, he was a wonderful ride by Raymond on the day too. And, mm. But that's what happens. That's racing. Um, you, you know, you, plenty of times when you duck when you should have weaved. But, <laughs> <I'll> <laughs> and, then, and then the third Melbourne Cup, I ran... Second to the oh, the great mayor, Nakabe Diva, the yeah. third Melbourne Cup, and mm. I um I reckon on that day if I had a road on a June before, mm-hmm. I reckon I would have made it very interesting. Why do you say that? Well, our plan was when we went out, what is it in the mountain yard? We we sort of you know <clears throat> I knew where I was going to be and um. I thought, well, when I'm, I'm, I'm a good chance of probably end up behind Maccabee Beaver in this race, mm. if it turns out that way. Um, I wasn't on one of those horses you could probably say to go and stop. You sort of had to get in and relax a little bit. So mm. I did that, and I, I thought, well, that's my plan. Um, and the trainer said to me, look, Darren, whatever you do, when you, when you straighten up, just come out. Because he, he hasn't got that turn of foot, and if you get an interrupted run, you're probably going to get into a bit of trouble, and he's not a stop-start horse. And mm. you know, it'd be wonderful if we can even just run the first ten. Mm. You know, he said, but the horse is going really good. Don't underestimate him, so we're not. You know, he did win a Geelong Cup, and he was going pretty good. And he, um, I remember getting on the horse on the day and going to the barriers. And I thought, Jesus, this horse feels really well. Feels mm. really on his game going to the barriers, and the barriers open, and we've gone to the winning post the first time, and. Lo and behold, I'm right behind Maccabee Diva. Mm. So, um, coming to the home turn, um, I was still behind her. Uh, but when she went, she had that turn of foot acceleration. She just left me, left me behind. Mm. And she put about four lengths on me real quick. And the run that she sort of went through was actually shut. And so I, I, I thought, well, I'll, I'll come out. I had to come out. I had the opportunity to come out. I come out and... Mm. When I when I had to come out, probably three or four horses, and I 
started riding my horse along and I thought, well, I'm going to run the first 10 and then I got to about the 200 metre mark and I thought, I'm going to do better than that. I think I'm going to run the first five. And yeah. I promise you, I promise you, it was only the last 50 metres that everything in front of me just got the stitch yeah. and really stopped and paddled and it looks like I'm flying, but I'm actually going the same speed as what I was at yeah. the top of the straight mm. to the winning post and I've run in the second. But after viewing the video, when I come in, I thought, wow, geez, I wish I had stayed where I was. Because mm. I might have, I reckon I, I, I would have got through because it shut and it opened. So by the time I got there, it would have opened up for me again. Mm. Uh, but look, there are things that, that's racing. Um, and like jockeys, I've only got a split second decision to make and it's, uh, it happens every day, every every race day and every race. So, look, I was, uh, I was unexpected to run second, but might have been. Look, uh, and saying that, if I had challenged the mayor, the great mayor, yeah, who knows? I assume she, I assume she would have kicked back and beat me, but mm. who knows? Yeah. Mm. Gauss, you had two rides only on the great lawn rail for two wins, the St George Stakes and the Group 1 Caulfield Guineas. What a dynamic horse. Yeah, he, he was an amazing horse. He, he had just – he's one of those horses um, – how can I explain? Um, any horse is like sitting on a bar, on a bar stool. Mm. But as soon as you've got on, on his back, it's like sitting in a big lounge, big yeah. comfortable lounge. Mm. Um, when you actually got on top of him, sat on him, you just feel, wow, what a – what before the horse even moves, you just feel that power underneath you. And mm. um, his turn of foot, both times I rode him, um, his turn of foot, particularly in the Guineas at Caulfield, uh, was amazing. Mm. Um, there's not many Group 1 winners that I've rode in, a, in an era where there was a lot of good three-year-olds and probably one of the toughest Guineas I've rode in, just mm. looking at their at four, on form mm. pre-race. But you're confident you're going to win at the six seven hundred. Yeah, uh, and I'm and I'm probably th- uh, third last, three wide. Mm. You know? no, he was explosive that day. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah. When I straight and I said go, he the race was over in the hundred meters. Yeah, and he, he he flew. Yeah. Now, Gouch, you had five rides on his legendary dad octagonal. You ran third in a Caulfield Guineas. You were unplaced four times. Now, you made the surprise statement some years ago that you did not get on with Octagonal. He must have been the only horse you didn't get on with. Yeah, it was, in a way. He just never performed for me on race day, mm. um, I felt. And it was like I ride, I ride him work. I ride him work a lot, and he... he Worked brilliantly. Um, he's a wonderful horse, a, a very kind horse. Mm. Um, had a heart of like a cage lion. He just would not give up. But on race day, for some reason, he, I just I know I probably didn't ride him when he was at his best, but I, I felt that it doesn't really go for me this horse yeah, on mm. race day, and, that, and that's that's a turn out exactly what it was. Yeah. Mm. In more recent history, El Segundo was a very special horse to you because he came along at a time when your real opportunities were diminishing. 
You did win a couple of Group 1s on him, the Caulfield Stakes and the Underwood Stakes, and then you went under by a nose, a breath, to Fields of Omar in the 2006 Cox Plate. Now, in his following preparation, Damien Oliver took over. When and how did you find out you were off him? Um, I found out... I was riding him work. He just come back in, and I was riding for Colin Little um, at the time. And um, I was actually I rode him work that morning. And Colin said, "I just need to talk to you." And I went, oh, so when I went down, had a talk. He pulled me aside, and he said, "The owners want to change." Mm-hmm. And I was look, I was I was devastated because of I was at that stage of my career that. Um, you needed a good horse to ride. Yeah, and I, uh, it was probably my only chance, I thought at the time, to, to get on the, uh, well, I was riding him before, and I thought this next prep, this prep is going to be his preparation where he probably will go on and win the Cox Plate and um, things like that. So I was really looking forward to it, and, and I thought I won't get on another one, and that's what actually happened. Mm. Well, one year later, mate, he won the Cox Plate with yes, Luke Nolan up, and that must have hurt. It did. Uh, it's one of those things. What could have been? Um, I remember Colin actually actually Colin come in the room, and I, I shook Colin's hand, and I think it's the first time I ever saw a tear in Colin's eye when he yeah, shook yeah. my hand. He, you know, I was riding with for Colin Little when I was thirteen. Yeah, would you? And I've known Colin, and we're still good mates. You know, it's mm. uh, one of those things that happened, and. It was just one of the owners didn't want me on the horse, and uh, not not so much said anything bad, but said I oh, would just need a change and a change of yeah. luck. And I thought, well, I thought it was a bit harsh, but yeah. but that's racing. Um, not the first time it happened to me, and it happens a lot. Mm. It's happened to four thousand jockeys. Yeah, at least. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Darren, I've got to ask you about a beautiful horse called yeah. Shaftesbury Avenue, trained by Bart yeah. Cummings. You won a new market and a Caulfield Stakes on him. He looked a beautiful ride, was he? He was. He was, he was, a, he was, a, he was a gentleman. He was a magnificent horse. He was a gentle giant. Um, and he was a very, very smooth horse, smooth-actioned horse. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he's one of those... This is how good he was. You let him. You wouldn't think he'd gone riding him work. You wouldn't think that you would go on that speed. He was doing it so easy and you know, effortlessly that you're actually running quite a bit faster than what you thought you were. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was an absolute gem to ride. Mm-hmm. Gem. I'm just looking at the timepiece, mate. We're running out of time. Confederate lady, you told me once, was the best two-year-old you ever rode. She won three from five before breaking down. Yeah, she's definitely the best two-year-old I've rode. Um, mm-hmm. In the era where Kortzer won the Blue Diamond um, that year, and I I beat Kortzer at Sandown, and this is like two weeks before the Blue Diamond, and I knew that she wasn't wound up yet. She still had about twenty five percent to go. So mm. I remember the final gallop before the uh, Tuesday before the Blue Diamond. 
I worked out and I said to Lee, she won't get beat. Is this, she's just a machine. And uh, that afternoon, Lee, Lee rang me, Lee Freeman rang me and said, Darren, I've got some news. Oh, dear. Yeah. She, she's out of business. And, uh, devastated. Tendon, was it? Yeah, he, yeah, yeah. He was a tendon, and he was he was devastated. I think he was on his second bottle of scotch then when he rang me, but uh, <laughs> well, he's the pain a bit. <laughs> it did kill the pain. Mm. I said, "You better have another drink, Lee." <laughs> and yeah. I said, so "Well, I." But uh, oh, oh we were all shattered, you know, because she was she was outstanding. Couch, you know? mm. I'd love to have time to talk about all thirty-five of your Group One winners, but obviously that's impossible. You know, three years ago, the story of your life was lovingly recorded in book form by Kristen Manning, who did a wonderful job in researching and putting it all together. It's simply entitled The Gouch, and it's a truly brilliant chronicle of your career. Uh, For those that haven't seen it, I'm sure uh, it wouldn't be hard to find a copy uh, by inquiring with Melbourne Books. Yeah, that's right, Johnny. Um, Kristen Manning done a wonderful job. I didn't understand how much they, um, trouble they went to to get all these stories and find out a lot of history that I couldn't even remember, but she's done a magnificent job. Well, Gouch, we're out of time, son, and with the arrival of your first grandchild imminent, I can't think of a better way to close than to thank you for joining me on the podcast, Grandpa Gouchy. Grandpa Gauchy, thanks very much, John. Always a pleasure, mate. Always a pleasure. Lovely to talk. Darren Gauchy, one of the all-time greats, and for the past five years following the termination of his brilliant writing career, he has been a much-respected mentor uh, with Racing Victoria. This podcast was produced by Supernova Sound. The English digital online sales platform continues to be the industry's number one place to buy and sell a horse online. With almost 9,000 registered bidders, it's the one-stop shop for tried horses, for broodmares and for racehorse shares. Sellers are delighted by a regular clearance rate of over 80%. Buyers are aware that more than 2,000 races around Australia last season were won by English digital graduates. With two sales every month, you no longer need to wait forever to buy or sell a horse in Australia. Head to EnglishDigital.com.